Are you ready for the word? All right. How many who are here today, you were here last week and you heard the sermon preached here last week? Okay. So it looks like maybe 30% of you were here, about 60, 70% of you were not. All right. So this is what I encourage you to do. And even if you were here, thank God for technology. Amen. Go back and listen to the word I preached last week. You can get that on the internet. Um, and I dealt with 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. And I said from the scripture that all believers are priests. Every single believer is a priest. Now, that was not true in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you only had Aaron and his sons. In the New Testament, the New Covenant, because of Jesus, every single person here who is in Christ, that's the only condition. But if you're in Christ... You are a priest. And so it's important that you begin to understand what that means because that, that's how God sees you. You have been chosen by God, set apart by God, consecrated by God for service unto him. Now, you do have a choice if you're in Jesus. You can be a faithful and obedient priest or you can be an unfaithful and disobedient priest. But either way, you are a priest. And the choices, choice we have to make is, what type of priest am I going to be? I have decided by the grace of God, I want to be what? A faithful and obedient priest. If you are a priest, you are consecrated. You didn't consecrate yourself, Jesus consecrated you. So what Jesus did on the cross by his death, his burial, the shedding of his blood, all of that was to consecrate you. When you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to live in you. That is to consecrate you. So Jesus, who is the high priest of the new covenant, has consecrated you, set you apart unto God, his Father. That is already accomplished. This is who you are. Now the decision I must make and you must make is to live in accordance with who you are. I'm a priest. How does a priest live? I'm a priest unto God. What does a priest unto God do? We told you that priests minister to God and for God. So as a priest, what is my ministry to God in the new covenant? How is it different from the old covenant priests? How can my life and my ministry Please, God. And that is what we're going to be looking at. So go with me now to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Uh, Hebrews 13, 15. Where is... Okay, may I have some water, please? Hebrews 13, verse 15. Okay, would you put that... Let's read that. Therefore... Okay, you know, I said let's read it. I didn't say I must read it. Okay, try to, try, to, try to speak loud enough so, so the person next to you can hear it through your, even though you're wearing a mask. Let's read together now. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the what? Fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share So here 
are instructions for New Testament priests. <clears throat> the way priests minister to God is by offering sacrifices to God. In the Old Testament, they minister to God by offering sacrifices. The sacrifices. There were two, well, there were several kinds of sacrifices, but we can, we can basically categorize them into what is called the sin offering. And then there were the thanksgiving and the fellowship offerings. The sin offering was intended to obtain forgiveness of sins from God and always required a blood sacrifice. So one of the major types of sacrifices that were offered in the Old Testament had to do with blood sacrifices that were made for the atonement of sins. Because the people were sinners, in order to approach a holy God, they were under judgment, and the only way they could be released from the judgment that was due them was through offering a blood sacrifice. Now, the blood of bulls and goats did not take away sin, but God permitted it to cover sin and to postpone judgment. So they offered blood sacrifices, bulls and, and goats and bullocks and blood sacrifice for the atonement of sin. But there were other types of sacrifices that were for thanksgiving and for offering that they also offered unto God as priests. These sacrifices often were grain offerings and offerings of wine. These were not blood sacrifices <clears throat> because they were not dealing with sin. They were a response of thanksgiving to God who had mercifully dealt with them in spite of their sins. So thanksgiving offerings and fellowship offerings, grain offerings and the offerings of wine were for thanksgiving. Now that we are in the new covenant, we no longer offer sin offerings. We do not offer a blood offering to Jesus or to God for our sins, for the atonement of our sins. Why? Because the one sacrifice that Jesus made for us was enough to deal with all our sins forever. Amen? And not just for my sins, but the sins of every man, every woman who believes in Jesus, those sins have been completely forgiven on the basis of Jesus' blood sacrifice. So in the new covenant, there's no longer any need to offer any sacrifice for your sins. What we as New Testament priests do is we acknowledge the sacrifice that was made. And so we worship God by acknowledging the sufficiency of his son's sacrifice. And we respond to the sufficiency of the sin offering with thanksgiving offerings. Hmm? We respond to the sufficiency of the son offering with fellowship offerings. So the thanksgiving offerings and the fellowship offerings are the response 
that we as New Testament priests make to the sufficiency of the sin offering that Jesus has made on our behalf. So you could say it this way. Every time you think about a sin offering, there ought to be a thanksgiving offering. I mean, every time you think about what Jesus did for you, uh, every time you think about how he died for you, how he shed his blood for you, and how because of his blood you are a forgiven person, how because of his blood you are righteous in God's sight, how because of his blood you can come boldly into the presence of God, how because of his blood you can be called children of God, how because of his blood you have eternal life, how because of his blood you're going to spend eternity with him in heaven, how because of his blood his Holy Spirit, precious Holy Spirit now lives in you, and you have a comforter, a helper with you always and in you, Whenever you think about what Jesus accomplished with his blood on your behalf, the sin offering, the perfect sin offering that took away all of your sins, your response as one who has sinned, have sinned, should be thank you. There should always be a thanks offering and a fellowship offering in response to the revelation of the sin offering. So right now, I just told you about the sin offering. There ought to be a thanksgiving offering. So why don't you just raise your hand or open your mouth and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for cleansing me. Thank you for making me acceptable to God. Thank you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Father, for the gift of your son. Amen. May we never get to the place where we take our salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, the presence of the Holy Spirit, all the good things that we have received in Christ for granted. As New Testament priests, one of our primary responsibilities is to acknowledge with thanksgiving what Jesus, the sin offering, has accomplished for us. So we no longer make blood sacrifices, but we always are acknowledging the sufficiency of the blood sacrifice that took away all our sins. And that's why after this sermon, we're going to receive communion. What are we doing when we receive communion as priests in the new covenant? We are engaged in a service that Jesus instituted for New Testament priests to always be remembering and always be giving thanks for his sin offering. Do this in remembrance of me. I wish I had a few more amens. Jeez. That's all I get for that kind of revelation. Come on, say amen. amen. Yeah, y'all got to help the preacher a little bit, man. All right. So now, these are instructions for us as priests. And what did he say? He says, therefore, therefore means, remember in the book of Hebrews, he has spent all of these chapters up to now talking about Jesus and the sufficiency of his sacrifice and how by his one sacrifice he had made he, uh, forgiveness of sins. He says, therefore, in light of all of this, let us continually offer the what? Sacrifice of praise to God. No, no, you know, I, I, I left something out that's very important. Therefore, by him, say by him, that is by Jesus or through Jesus. That's important. We're going to comment on that later. 
But by or through Jesus, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips given what? Thanks to him. So one type of sacrifice that we engage in as New Testament priests is to offer God the sacrifice of what? Praise. And how do you offer the sacrifice of praise? With the words of your mouth. Say words of your mouth. So the New Testament priest must become very conscious of the important role his mouth plays as a priest. The fruit of his lips, the mouth of the New Testament priest in a special way should be considered holy, sacred, consecrated for God. Yes, our whole bodies belong to God. Romans chapter 12 says we should represent our bodies a living sacrifice. Our whole bodies belong to God. But in this aspect of our priestly ministry, the mouth, the tongue, the words we speak are absolutely critical. As New Testament priests, remind yourself your mouth is holy. Your mouth is sacred. Your mouth is consecrated for service to God, to offer praise to God. Very important. That is the number one fact. I would say the only legitimate use of the mouth of the New Testament priest is to make sure that whatever comes out of his mouth glorifies God. <clears throat> yeah, thank you for clapping. That encourages me. First Peter 2 said that, 9 and 10 said that we are, as New Testament priests are to what? Proclaim the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So hear me, I'm going to repeat. The only legitimate, permissible use of our mouth as priests whose mouths are consecrated and set apart for God, the only legitimate use is to use our mouth and our words in a way that will bring glory and honor to him. And that's the sacrifice I'm going to focus on today. But there's a second thing that he says that we do that also is a part of our priestly sacrificial ministry to God. He says, do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, it's sacrifices, God is well pleased. So he's saying, listen, your words, your mouth is consecrated and it is to be used exclusively for holy purposes to honor and glorify God. And then he says, you know what? There's another sac type of sac there's something else you do as a New Testament priest which ought to be an act of your worship. And it's not offering blood, but it's offering your works of service to God. So now the words of my mouth become sacrifices to God and then the works of my service 
the works of my service. And we're going to talk about that, Lord willing, next, next week. But what I do with my hands, what I do with my time, what I do with my talent, what I do with my treasure, that is also a category of sacrifices that the New Testament priest offers to God as thanksgiving in response to the gratitude that we have for the sin offering. Are you here? Again, I don't have time to do both this message, so I'll do the second next week, and I'll focus today primarily on the sacrifice of praise, the use of our mouths as New Testament priests to honor and glorify God. Now, many of us are accustomed. You come to church like you did, and we say, now it's time to praise the Lord. Right? And we stand and we worship. We sing like we did in this service. And, and that's a good thing. To, and that's part of our worship. One of the reasons God gave us this mouth is that we might release words of praise in song and in thanksgiving unto him. So a part of this uh, uh, involves what we experience every time we get together on Sunday. The priests get together. What we just did is a New Testament priestly function. This is something every priest in the New Testament is supposed to be doing every week. Every week, the priests are to gather together with one another as the church for this purpose, that together we may worship that together we may offer the sacrifice of praise unto God. New Testament priests, every week, this is what we're supposed to be doing. But, as important as this is, do not make the mistake of thinking this is all that he's speaking of when he talks about the fruit of our lips. Because notice, he said, let us do what? Continually offer. Now, we're going to be here for an hour and a half. Great. We spent about 35, 40 minutes singing and worshiping just now. Great. But the service will end. And then we will go outdoors. But wait a minute. If it's continual, then it can't end here. It cannot be referring only to the one and a half hours we spend together. Yes, we must do this, but then when we go out, that praise should continue. We should be using our mouth after we've left this place in order to do what? Glorify and honor God. Continually offer with our lips sacrifices of praise. Continually offering with our lips words that will glorify God. Words with which God will be well pleased. Which means what takes place in a parking lot after we leave here, 
ought to be honoring and glorifying God. Which means when you go home, the words that come out of your mouth in the parking lot should be honoring and glorifying God. The words that you speak, Yemi and Kimmy, <laughs> I always pick on them. They sit in front, so they're easy to pick on. Amen. But the words you speak when you get home, guess what? They ought to be honoring and glorifying to God. When you go to work on Monday, guess what? You are a priest on Monday. And when you show up on Monday, you ought to be continually offering unto God a sacrifice of praise. So the words that you speak at work, at school, at home, in the church, in the parking lot, wherever you go, ought to be a continual flow of praise unto God. In other words, my words should be such that God can be honored and glorified by them. Continually. Say continually. Nah. I know what sometimes happens in the parking lot. And you wonder, wait a minute, that per is that the same person who just an hour ago had her hands or his hands up I love you, Lord. You're great, Lord. You're wonderful. <laughs> Praising God. And as soon as you leave the sanctuary, you see him or you see her. And the words that come out of your mouth as you talk to him or to her, and you wonder, the same mouth that was just, quote-unquote, praising God, is now cursing men. I think the Bible has something to say about that. Go to the book of James, chapter 3, verse 9 through 12. Are you ready? Let's read it. He was talking about the tongue. He was talking about the tongue. He was talking about words. Let's read together. With it, the tongue, we... No, no, I don't want you to be quiet. I want you to read it. Let's read it again. With it, we bless our God and Father. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You are so good to me. That's great. But here's the problem. With it, we curse men who have been made in the image of God. Again, priests, your mouths are consecrated. Your mouth is set apart. Your mouth is supposed to be used exclusively to honor God. And James, by the Spirit, is saying there's a problem because there's some priests who haven't understood how important their words are and don't understand that their mouths are consecrated and ought to be used only for the glory of God. They use the mouth that praise God one minute and take the same mouth and use it to curse, shame, insult, belittle, put down someone who is made in the image of God. Now, the reason James is stressing the image of God, he said, when you see him, you ought to be seeing the image of God. 
And you ought to honor the image of God. To the degree that the image of God is present in all of us, and, and we know that we have fallen short, but to the degree that I am made in the image of God, you ought to honor the image of God in me by the way you talk to me. As a priest, we ought to be honoring the image of God in one another and therefore only allowing words to come out of our mouth which will glorify God and glorify his image. So, go to verse 13. Is that, is, that, is that the next, is that where it goes? Okay. No, 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 I, I'm sorry. Go back to verse 9. I think I took you further than I wanted you to go. Okay. With it we bless our God and Father. Go to verse 10. I, I shouldn't have said 13. Verse 10. Out of the same mouth. Okay, 10% of you read that, so let's, let's try one more time. That was 90%, I want 100%. So let's read it one more time. Listen, we're not talking about your salvation. The sin offering took care of your salvation. We're talking about your ministry. We're talking about your life. We're talking about your influence, your impact. We're talking about being faithful priests. And this is what he said. Brethren, priests, these things ought not to be so. With the same mouth that we bless God, we ought not to be insulting, shaming, cursing men who are created in his image. What he's saying as priests, we must be just as concerned about what comes out of our mouth when we're speaking to one another as we are what comes out of our mouth when we're speaking to God. Let the church say amen. amen. Let the priest say amen. amen. Let them say preach, preach, preach. preach. The priest ought to be just as concerned about what comes out of his mouth. I'm not just preaching, I'm preaching to myself. I'm pointing one finger, but I got three fingers pointing back. I don't know where the other one going. <laughs> but I'm preaching to me too, okay? I ought to be just as concerned about the words that go out of my mouth when I'm speaking to someone who is created in God's image. Even if I don't like what he or she is doing, still because of the image of God, the words that come out of my mouth should honor that image in him or in her. And so I need to be careful what I say at all times, continually. And so this is what, this is what, this is what James had to say. Uh, I think, it's, it's, go to James 1, I believe, verse 26. And in James chapter 1, verse 26, look at what he said. Let's read together. If anyone 
among you thinks he is religious, he's a worshiper, he's pleasing, I mean, he's, if he thinks that and does not bridle, restrain, control, set the reins upon his tongue, but deceives his own heart, one translation say, he is fooling himself. This one's religion, useless. It doesn't accomplish anything. It's worthless. So you can do all of this other stuff. He said, listen, this mouth is critical to your spiritual life, to your spiritual growth. It's very critical to your ministry. It's critical to the impact you're going to have upon people. It's critical. He says, you've got to pay attention to what you say with your mouth. Because remember, your words are to bring glory and honor. He says, if you don't do that, you just say what you want to say. You talk to God one way, but you talk to man another way, and you think it has no implications. He says, no, no, you're fooling yourself. What you do as priests with your mouth and with your words have huge implications on the influence, the impact of your priestly ministry. The impact of your life, your usefulness to God's kingdom. All of these things depend on how you choose to use your mouth. Hmm? Go to 1 Peter 3.10. Because 1 Peter 3.10 says, he says, listen, if you love life and you desire good days, let him do what? Refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. God, again, do you say how important the tongue is? I believe one of the reasons why when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, one of the first things God wants to do is for you to speak in tongues because that helps you to get this tongue under control. Because James says the tongue is unruly. It's tough. Are you hearing me? And you're going to need help from the Holy Ghost. Uh, you didn't hear me. You're going to need help from the Holy Ghost in order to get this tongue under control. But as New Testament priests, you ought to begin by recognizing that your mouth is holy, it's consecrated, your tongue is to be used for one purpose only, to honor God. And so the words that come out of my mouth, whether they're words directed to God or words directed to people, must always honor and glorify God. And he's saying when you don't do that, then there are problems, there are problems, there are problems that result. Let me take that further. Go to Ephesians 4, 29. And verse 30. Again, these are instructions. We are to offer up sacrifices of praise. We are to, with our mouths, glorify God and honor God. And here are instructions. Again, I'm not talking about your salvation. The sin offering took care of your salvation. Okay, I'm not talking about your righteousness. By the grace of God, if you're in Christ, you're righteous. But now that you're righteous, there's a way to live. As priests, there's a way to conduct yourself. There's a way to conduct yourself as priests in order to honor and glorify God. And one of those things that is critical is that we pay attention to what we say. So let's read this. 
Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Again, instructions for the priests. You're not offering bulls. God isn't telling you to kill animals and give them a, a blood sacrifice. But he is saying, you need to watch what you say, and you need to offer words that honor and glorify me as sacrifices of thanksgiving. Because I'm well pleased when that happens. All right? So he says, let no corrupt word proceed. What is a corrupt word? Well, we know, I mean, I mean, we, we, we know we can, we can just, just by intuition, by experience, we know a corrupt word uh, refers to, at the very least, to profanity and to, to insult and to abuse, abusive words. But don't limit that. I mean, certainly as New Testament priests, you ought not to be insulting people and abusing people and using profanity against people. You know that, right? I hope nobody's doing that. But if you only limit that to insults and, I mean, and abuse and profanity, then you've missed You've missed what it means to be a New Testament priest. All right? Because even unbelievers can say, I'm not going to use profanity. But this is more than that. He says, let no corrupt word proceed out of you. That word corrupt. What is he talking to? Well, we can get a sense of what a corrupt word is that should not proceed out of the mouth of a priest by reading the, what follows. But what is good for what? Necessary. So a corrupt word is a word that does not edify. It doesn't have to be a profane word. It just needs to be a word that does not edify the hearer. Y'all look at me, y'all look at me. A word that does not edify, a word that does not impart grace. And go to verse 30. You see that it is a word that grieves the Holy Spirit. New Testament priests, you want to be faithful? You want to be obedient? You want to fulfill your ministry in a way that honors and glorifies God? He's saying, make this decision. You're not going to allow your mouth to become an instrument through which words will flow that will not edify. Words will, that will come out that will not minister grace. Words that will grieve the Holy Spirit. Words that don't edify. What does that mean? Well. The, the word edification means to build up. So as a New Testament priest, I should not allow my mouth to be used to speak words to people that will not build them up. Words that will not encourage them. Words that will not strengthen them. Words that will not empower them to succeed in doing what God has called them to do. 
as a New Testament priest, the words that come out of my mouth are to build up people, encourage people, strengthen people, build their faith, deepen their love, inspire their hope. That is what it means to edify. But when I begin to use my speech for whatever reason, whether I'm angry, the person hurt me, whatever, and we all got reasons why we do what we do, it doesn't make it right. If I begin to use my speech and begin to say things to you, or you begin to say things to me that do not build you up, but tear you down, that do not encourage you, but discourage you, that do not empower you, but disempower you, that do not add grace to your life, but disgraces you. In my mind, I may be justified because of what you did to me, but when you attempted to speak those words because of what someone did to you, remind yourself, but I'm a priest. My mouth is holy. It is consecrated. It is to be used only to honor and glorify God. Now, does this mean that there is no reproof? No, certainly not. God reproves. God corrects. And so there are times when a New Testament priest who ministers for God must also reprove, like I'm reproving some of you right now, as I reprove myself must correct, but the purpose must be similar to God's purpose. When God reproves and God corrects, he's always motivated by love. And he's reproving and correcting for the purpose of stopping evil and saving us from harming others and ourselves. All right? He's not motivated because he's angry. He just wants to let you have it. You did this to me. I'm going to do this to you. No. So when we reprove, and there are times when love and grace requires reproof, the Bible says grace teaches us to say no. So there are times when you must, from the point of a priest, speak words of grace intended to help that person say no to something that is wrong, evil, harmful, dishonoring. So when God reproves, it's to stop evil. It's never to tear down insult and he does it in a way that would eventually that would edify and build up and strengthen the person okay so words that should never come out of the mouth of a new testament priest because his mouth is sacred holy and consecrated to god are words that do not build up edify strengthen empower others words that do not impart grace Words that do not reveal God's grace. Words that express our wrath and our judgment rather than grace. Such words, when they come out of our mouths, will grieve the Holy Spirit. Thank God in the new covenant, he's not going to leave, but he will become grieved. When our words don't honor God and don't honor the image of God, in those that we're speaking to. Do you want me to take it just one step further? Because I really want us to understand this. That word corrupt, that is translated from the Greek, literally, literally means rotten. 
So you could say, let no rotten word comes out of your mouth. So a word that doesn't edify, a word that doesn't minister grace, grieves the Holy Spirit because it is rotten. Now, it was used to describe rotten meat, rotten fish, rotten food. How many of you would love for me to serve you a bowl of rotten meat? But what Paul is saying here is that these words that don't edify, these words that don't minister grace, these words that grieve the Holy Spirit, they are like rotten meat. And when you allow them to come out of your mouth as a sacrifice, because whatever comes out of your mouth ought to be a sacrifice to God, you are offering God rotten meat as a sacrifice. And so instead of it being a sweet-smelling Aroma in its nostrils, it stinks. There's just certain words we ought not to utter out of our mouths because they stink in the nostrils of God. And that should be enough reason not to say. I don't want to offer God rotten words. So I'm not going to say it. Would you offer someone, hopefully not even your enemy, rotten food? Say, hey, come, I got some rotten meat for you to eat, and you kind of cover it so it doesn't look. You wouldn't do that, right? And you certainly won't see rotten food yourself, rotten meat, and sit down and eat it. Why? Because first of all, the very look of it will cause you to almost want to throw up. Secondly, the smell will cause you to run away. And thirdly, you know, if you put that thing in you, it's going to defile you. It's going to do what? Defile you. At the very least, it'll give you a serious case of diarrhea. But it could really make you sick and could kill you. So you would avoid rotten meat because it is harmful. Even so, God is saying, avoid these rotten words. Avoid speaking to people in rotten ways. For the very same reason, these rotten words smell. These rotten words are harmful. These rotten words dishonor God. These rotten words defile you. The priest, your mouth is defiled when these words come out of it. This is what Jesus said in Matthew. Believers chapter 15. Jesus said, it is not what you eat that makes you unclean. It's not what you eat that defiles you. You know, the Pharisees, the, Pharise- the Pharisees, the Pharisees were, you know, into all the, the food and all that stuff. Jesus said, that's not the issue. Spiritually, you're, you're, you're putting the emphasis on the wrong thing. He said, it is what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. So hear me. If you understand the, what he's saying, this is what he is revealing. And we should get a hold of this. The words I speak to you, 
that, are, that don't minister grace, yeah, they'll have an impact upon you. They can harm you because they can affect the way you think and the way you act. But those words do their greatest damage to me. Because when I am speaking them, I may be hurting you, but I'm defiling me. I'm taking that which is holy and sacred, I'm defiling it. Again, you're not losing your salvation. You haven't lost your righteousness. But you are, as a priest, you're defiling the instrument that God has given you to worship with. Now it needs to be cleansed. And thank God for the word. Jesus said, the word I've spoken to you, those words have cleansed you. So when we use our mouths and, 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 and as, as an instrument to, to, that it defiles us, then we got to go to the word and allow the word of God to cleanse us again, cleanse that mouth. Cleanse it. Renew our mind with the word so that our mouths are cleansed. So going forward, we're speaking words that edify, minister grace, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, say, say let no corrupt or unwholesome or rotten word proceed out of your mouth. Now, just imagine, just imagine what would happen if we really begin to apply that, that truth to our lives. Imagine what would happen in marriages. If Yemi, what would happen to Yemi and Kimmy's marriage? Amen. If Yemi and Kimmy decided we're going to apply this principle, when we talk to each other, we're always going to honor the image of God in one another. We are going to remind ourselves that we are priests and no corrupt words should come out of our mouth. But the only words that should come out of my mouth when I'm speaking to Yemi or I'm speaking to Kimmy will be words that will edify, will be words that will minister grace so that the Holy Spirit does not become grief. If they apply that principle in their marriage, can you imagine the positive impact it would have on their relationship? There's no need to fast. There's no need to, to, to fast for 40 days. All you need to do, well, you may have to fast so the Lord can help you control your tongue. But <laughs> no, you don't even need to do that. You, you, but, but that decision to do that, and then, of course, you got to then turn to Jesus and the Holy Spirit to help you do it. But that decision by itself would transform most marriages into marriages that are healthy. Not perfect, none is, but healthy. And there will be less, a far, far fewer number of Christians go into the divorce court. In the last service, I said 100%, but I said, wait a minute, if I said 100%, somebody will find an exception. So I'm going to say 95% of divorces that take place between Christians, I think would have been avoided if they had just applied this principle. You're made in the image of God. I'm made in the image of God. We're priests, and we're going to honor God with the way we talk. I'm going to honor the image of God in you, and you honor the image of God in me. And that would 
radically transform the nature of your interactions and things that you're fighting over will no longer have the power to destroy your relationship. You take that same principle and you apply it in the parent-children relationship. I really believe if parents, parents and children, but since children are still growing, if parents or to apply this principle so that even in the way they speak to their children, even when they're reproving and correcting their children, to do it in a way that edifies, that administers grace, I believe that there will be less rebellion by children against their parents and against their parents' faith. Now, if you bring that in the church, can you imagine what kind of church all churches would become if all of us who are in the church remind ourselves we are all priests and our mouths are consecrated, sacred, holy, and are to be used only for the glory of God? And in all our interactions and communication with one another, the way we talk to one another, we speak to one another, and we honor each other as the image of God, and we speak only words to one another that edify and that minister grace to each other. And even when we're correcting and reproving, we're doing it graciously. My goodness. My goodness. Can you imagine how, how many church splits could have been avoided? There's so many people today that have checked out a church altogether. They say, I don't want to have anything to do with the church anymore. Can you imagine how many of those folks, this would not be the case if we all just reminded ourselves that our mouths are sacred and holy and it's to be used only for the glory and honor of God? Hallelujah. Listen, I need to stop because of time. But I pray that you understand that you and I have been called priests. We are priests and and one of the most important members of our bodies is our mouth. And one of the most important functions as priests is to offer sacrifice. And one of the most important sacrifices to offer, we have to offer it with our mouth, and it's supposed to be continual. And it means always being mindful that the words we speak to God honor God, and the words we speak to men honor God. Now, lastly, say through Jesus. By Jesus, let us offer continually. Which means, listen, you can offer no sacrifice to God that will be pleasing to God if you don't first come by and through Jesus. Amen? It is your faith in Jesus, your relationship with Jesus, your trust in Jesus that makes it possible for you to do anything or say anything that honors God. Because what you say and what you do will always fall short of perfection. None of us is going to do this perfectly. And so it's always going to depend upon your faith in Jesus, your relationship to Jesus, for you to fulfill this priestly ministry. Now, in the Old Testament, I told you there were different types of offerings. There was the sin offerings, and then there were the thanks offerings and the fellowship offerings. Now, no one could offer a thanksgiving offering or a fellowship offering without first having the sin offering done. The sin offering had to be first because it is a sin offering that dealt with their sins and made them acceptable to God. 
Now that they were acceptable to God because of the sin offering, they could then offer thanksgiving offerings that will also be acceptable to God. So the sin offering must always be first. And so when he says to you through Jesus or by Jesus, he's saying that the reason now we can come is because the sin offering has already been shed. And it is because Jesus has shed his blood. Our faith in that blood is what now has cleansed us from sin, made us acceptable to God. And on the basis of that, we now can serve God with our words and with our works, and God can find what we do pleasing to him. Without the sacrifice of the son, no service you've made will be pleasing to God because it takes the sacrifice of the son to make you holy. Don't forget that. In Jesus' name. So if you're here this afternoon and you have not embraced the sacrifice of the Son, and you're trying to have a relationship with God but not through Jesus, you're trying to have a relationship with God but your faith is not anchored in what Christ did for you on the cross, the first thing you need to do is to submit to Jesus Christ and confess Him as your Savior and as your Lord. And when you do that, then he, as your high priest, cleanses you from all of your sins and qualifies you now to function in the office of the priest and offer thanksgiving and fellowship offerings to God. Is there anyone here who says, Bishop, I am not sure I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not sure Jesus is my Savior, my Lord, but I don't want to leave here until I'm absolutely certain. If you are here, we want to pray with you and we want to help you. It's a simple prayer, but you must be willing to surrender in faith to Jesus. Every head bow, please, every eye close. We don't want to embarrass anybody. We just want to make it as easy as possible. While every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you say, Bishop, I want you to pray with me. And, and, be, and we, you know, we won't have you stand up. We won't have you come up front. We're going to meet with you after the service, but I want you to pray with me to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, just, just slip your hand up. And after the service, okay, I see one hand. Is there anyone else? Okay. Is there anyone else? Okay. So after the service, the person who raised your hand, just come to the front. I'll be here, and we'll pray with you in Jesus' name. All right. God bless you.